0: Yeah, um, I have to say, I, I feel I feel incredibly lucky to have met uh, the people that I have along the way. And, you know, the years that followed, as I say, the relationships have remained and there's been sort of like touch points as we go, where like moving across to Superbalist, a friend of mine was previously a Superbalist um, in in the same same position really. So for me to be able to have a conversation with her um, and to understand like the environment a little bit more and a little bit more about her experience. That was invaluable to me.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. So as you know Elsie and I we are both UX designers, that's how we met and that's what we are both currently still practicing. So when we started this podcast, uh, naturally we kind of went to the people that were not within our immediate circle because we were practicing UX and we were just intrigued in other creative disciplines at first. And we've been looking for our first uh, UX related um, guest and it's been such a difficult pick and initially I thought maybe it would be best to pick someone we know. But then I thought it would actually be really nice to hear and speak to someone we both don't know, but someone that's also had such an expensive background, both in product and UX. So as one does, I upskilled my LinkedIn stalking skills. which I've been very uh, good at at the moment and um, I found Sarah. So Sarah Ulmer is the product design lead at Superbalist. If you're in South Africa and you're listening you know exactly which addictive platform I am talking about <laughs> <laughs> and um, I reached out to Sarah and she responded and I um, we're going to be talking to her about not just her background, but a bit about the UX industry. And this is really exciting for us because we are breaking our virginity with our first UX, UI related guest. <laughs> Welcome, Sarah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Alfie. Nice to be here.
1: It's yes, this you. is uh, this is great. But I think, you know, uh, maybe to get us started, because when I found you on LinkedIn, um, I obviously looked at your background because that's what LinkedIn provides and I was very surprised that you came from a web design background then almost immediately moved into UX and at the moment our industry is so saturated we find a lot of people coming from different industries like engineers, psychologists, um, architects and then they come come into the product or the UX space but uh, to see someone who's actually been in UX and developed their career staying in this space is so interesting. So maybe you can kick us off with uh, sharing a bit of your background.
0: Sure. Um, I, I like that you touched on your UX uh, stalking skills <laughs> um, and, and I really appreciate that, um, that I'm your first uh, I'm your first sort of UX focused or person who has experience in, in UX design on on the show. So again, thank you so much for giving me the, the time and the opportunity to to chat to you today. Yeah. So a little bit on my background, I have got quite a varied um, a varied sort of experience in different places. But um, as you touched on, I started out in, in web design. And I was actually a front-end developer in a very small okay. digital agency. And when I say small, I mean myself and my boss.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Intimate.
0: Very intimate. Um, it was it was us for a good couple of years. And because of that, I was exposed to many different parts mm-hmm. of, um, of the industry. So it gave me a chance to, uh, you know, have a look at everything from wireframing. And I mean, at that stage, UX wasn't as big and popular as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just gave me a chance. And he really acted as a mentor um, for me. And he played such a big role in my career. And I, I stayed with him for about five and a half years initially. And we kind of grew from a small digital wow. agency doing front-end design and development into something which was, which was quite a bit bigger. And I would say probably mm. between 10 and 20 people. But for us, that wow. was big.
2: Wow. Yeah. Sure. And
0: then moved across from there into advertising and still, still mm. doing the same kind of, uh, same kind of thing, so a little bit of HTML development, front-end, and still a lot of the UI design work and some of the wireframing, and then I became a mom, Mm -hmm. and because I had my son uh, in 2012, uh, the late Mm -hmm. nights were just not going to be uh, feasible for me anymore, so I decided to... Um, to move into, into the corporate space. And I actually yeah. met um, my, one of my other mentors in my career who is Farai. So, and Farai hey. approached me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, yeah, amazing. And he approached me to come across um, to Standard Bank. Mm. So I went I went across there through a company called Free Thinking, and I was there for about five and a half years as well. And it yeah. was an incredibly happy time for me. Uh, it mm-hmm. was the, the time that I had my biggest learning curve. So I was exposed to UX, a lot of UX in that space. I was exposed to some amazing design leaders in that space. I, um, I was exposed to a lot of uncomfortable things in that space, which forced <laughs> me to grow on a personal and professional level. But I always look back at it as, as really, like, one of the happiest times in my career, yeah. and, um, and I was given the opportunity at that time to move into design leadership, yeah. and I started looking after a small team at Standard Bank of yeah. UX and UI designers. And from there, I took quite a, a big jump into discovery. So I moved across to Discovery again, another big corporate, and was asked to go look after the mobile design team. So I went across there and I headed up the mobile design nice. team specifically. <laughs> so, yeah, so a much, a much bigger team there. And again, big learning curves. I learned a lot about um, the business in that environment. So that gave me a lot of good grounding um, with engaging with stakeholders, which I found to mm-hmm. be quite um, quite fascinating and, and not necessarily something that I've been exposed to before.
3: Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, I, I want to just pause us a, m- a minute. There. We'll sort of get back to the mm-hmm. journey, but there the sort of two things that I want to touch on. Um, and I think Steph, Steph's also thinking about, about <laughs> one of them. Um, but the first <laughs> one I want to touch on is a little bit more um, selfish. So yesterday I was speaking to um, a lady who is... Um, so she's working in a company. She's the only designer there. And she start, she's thinking about becoming a mom. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I have got very little knowledge and experience in that department. <laughs> um, but, you know, there there are probably a number of things that you considered when you were actually making that decision, kind of going from a smaller company. Because, I mean, from, from two people to 10 people or even 20 is actually a massive difference. You know, when you're in a, in a corporate or something like that and there are thousands of people, it can seem like it's the same thing. But dealing with one person Mm. versus dealing with, you know, 10 people is quite a big shift. But then, you know, Mm. as you sort of mentioned, um, you became a mom. And now there is a whole different element to your professional career that you need to consider. Mm. So can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that you were thinking about um, as you kind of made that transition? um, Like some of the things that were good that kind of pushed you towards corporate, some of the things that you were considering during that time?
0: it's such a great question Um, and I think something that, uh, to your point a lot of people would consider if they're in that position where either they're thinking about having a a child or they've just had one Mm. it's it forced me to take a look at my current situation so I had Mm. to have a look at my current sort of working situation and how just like take stock of of what's important to me, number one, so what are my Mm. priorities? Mm. And then also just what does my working environment look like and what are the demands that are placed upon me um, Mm -hmm. in my working day? So in considering moving into a corporate, the big thing for me was like looking at stability and potentially just a bit of structure and being able to say, okay, great, you know, now I have got um, a little bit more like there's less sort of uh, room to be working excessive hours, for example. So when I moved into that corporate space, like I knew it was important for me. So mm. when I went into the interviewing process, it was one of the, one of the things that I mentioned up front is mm. I'm mom. Yeah. This is what I need from you. Um, and when you know, we would have that discussion, you know, so I think it's incredibly okay. important just to be, have that open communication with your potential employer or with the person mm-hmm. that you're employed with. Mm-hmm. And just to understand that your life is going to change dramatically. You're going to have yeah. times when your child will get sick. There will be times when you need to go fetch your child from school. Mm-hmm. Or when you need to be at um, a swimming gala or, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's other additional the responsibilities yeah. that you have, a school player, yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly.
0: So things do change and it's not, mm. I, feel, I feel like every environment that I've been in, um, there's, there's been incredibly understanding people that I've worked with. Yeah but there's also been people who are in the same situation as me. So it's like a shared experience, and we understand that this is how it goes, right? And there's also a level of trust that's there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we all know, like I know and my employer knows, that I have a certain amount of work that I need to get through, and I will get through that work um, Mm -hmm. as planned. But it may just not be always sort of during the traditional, like what the working hours look like. There would need to Mm -hmm. be a little bit of um understanding and and give and yeah. take, like, yeah. I suppose, but the work will get
3: done yeah um i just I just wanted to highlight one thing specifically because I know that it's it's oh well, I can imagine that it's quite a difficult thing to speak about, and that's speaking about the fact that especially if you're thinking about becoming a mom and you're not yet, you might worry that speaking about that in an interview might make you a little bit less desirable as a candidate, um yeah. just because you know I mean you'd assume that you know it's probably then within reason that over the next few months you're probably going to take maternity leave and then you need to kind of like re like recreate all of the different like structures and like habits in your life yeah. so like mm-hmm. I think it's I just wanted to highlight the fact that it can be okay it, it is okay for you to kind of like speak about something like that in an interview just because I know that it's probably really difficult
2: it is,
0: it's a, it's a very, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to express something when you are fearful of the outcome, um, mm-hmm. when you fear that, you know, you know, you may get the response back, well, okay, then we're not going to take you on as someone we want mm-hmm. in our team. And for me, I think that that's just an indication of, um, of a place that I wouldn't want to be, right? Yeah, so doesn't work for me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So.
1: And absolutely, yeah. I love that you bring that up. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think now as someone who is managing a team, you would have so much respect and understanding for someone who brings that same level of honesty and courage to maybe one of the interviews you're doing. And the more we start um, doing that, and you and I touched on it a little bit before the recording around that human aspect that we need to start bringing into the work that we're actually loving humans with things outside of work, which we'll still get to. But um, it's so valuable. And it's, and it's even, um, it, it extends beyond whether it's a conversation um, that you want to have around becoming a parent Or it's just basically being honest and upfront about your boundaries, right, with work. Mm. And that's kind of like you say, testing the waters with your potential employer or your current employer to see if they're compatible with you, like a relationship.
0: 100%. I mean, I think it's, it's just as much about, you know, your potential employer interviewing you. As you also interviewing your employer. Yeah. Just understanding if this is the right kind of environment for you and if that's if that's where you want to be and if it's gonna provide yeah. you the opportunities that you're looking for. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So you mentioned something, and uh, I saw Alfie's face light up, and I don't I didn't think I told him about this, but I knew it before, obviously, because I was stalking you, that you are also a ex-free thinker. So for the people mm-hmm. listening that don't know, Alfie and I actually met while both contracting through free thinking at APSA. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I think there's just some shared experience. We, we, we kind of feel like we know you. We're close with you just because you... <laughs>
0: You're so an ex-free thinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my whole time at Standard Bank, all five and a half years.
2: Wow. Once wow. with
0: free That's thinking. Yeah. yeah. So wonderful. It's and the, and we were just saying as well, you know, the industry is just so small. It's amazing. Mm.
3: Yeah. It is. Yeah, It is beautiful. Mm. So, um, you're telling us, you know, about kind of like the, the development of your journey after your time at free thinking. Um, you sort of moved to discovery where you are leading the mobile app effort which is um a valiant <laughs> one um but then like you were yeah. mentioning that you kind of had a little bit of time then you started to use different skills like it's less about mm-hmm. necessarily just you know shifting i mean you'd already shifted to a, a sort of a leadership role by that time but now it co- becomes more about stakeholder management and like
2: mm-hmm.
0: resourcing mm-hmm. and structures nice. and
3: processes um can you talk yeah. a little bit about some of that change and then maybe we can kind of like go on with your journey
0: yeah sure so one of, the major, um, one of the major shifts that I found when I moved to Discovery is that there, there wasn't much in place um, when I arrived there. So I had quite a big team that I was looking after and that consisted of permanent staff members but also contract, um, contractors that were there. And um, we, I came in and I had um, a head of design that I was working with and he was looking after obviously both the web and the mobile space. And he's just again like such a phenomenal leader. He gave me so much, um, so much opportunity to make it what I wanted it to be. So he said to me, "There isn't any. There's no structure in place here. There's, there's barely any process in place here. You are free to make it to be what you want it to be." Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciated that. It was terrifying. At the same time, yeah. because because you know when someone gives you complete like free reign, you're thinking, oh, what can I, what am I going to do with this? Um, but I mean, he was it. It was the trust, the level of trust mm. um, was so appreciated, and it's mm. amazing how a person responds, like me, how I would respond in a situation to him trusting me. Mm-hmm. Because then it just sort of, it empowers me and I can take that trust and I can turn yeah. it into something wonderful for the team yeah. and being able to collaborate with him on it and just to be able to set in, um, in motion some of the design practice work um, that was there with the app team. Um, and then we touched a little bit on the research um, side of things, but not as much but it was mainly focused around, around the UX and so mainly around the product design side of things right. at mm-hmm. Discovery. So, um, so yeah, I, again, as I say, with that stakeholder management, it's quite a, um, a challenging environment. You've got lots of different silos that exist at mm-hmm. Discovery, so many different products rolled into one app, and the customer experiences that as one product, Whereas mm-hmm. within Discovery, there are many different products that are structured in their own ways as businesses. Yeah. So for yeah. us, our, our, biggest, um, our biggest task or job was to bring together one experience for the Discovery customer mm-hmm. without sort of creating a disparate experience in that. Yeah, and it yeah, was a big that's so
1: interesting that you that you also mentioned that because that's obviously how a lot of big businesses work. And um mm-hmm. as someone working there, it can be quite challenging to zoom out and and consider that there are other products, whether it's you know, insurance, policies, whatever, and they all need to have some cohesive uh experience at the end of the day, because mm-hmm. the customer doesn't know there's four different uh, departments on level one two of them exactly board. <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah. know they, they, they're installing the app and they yeah. are a discovery customer they For want sure. their stuff done <laughs> yep they see it as they
0: see it as one discovery you know mm-hmm. Ex-
1: yeah. exactly exactly i did want to uh ask a bit how you mentioned your boss or the head of mobile there who you were collaborating with, who gave you all this freedom and trust to start building out a bit of processes, building up a design capability in the team and structure. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to hear what you did with that. Especially (laughs) because I want to (laughs) know. Yeah. So um,
0: I've, I've since had the opportunity to do the same thing in, in a couple of different places after, mm-hmm. um, after Discovery. So when I arrived at Discovery, I must say like I was, I was really like, it was quite new. This thing was new for me. So I've, I've mm-hmm. moved into leadership and I think I've been in leadership for about a year at Standard Bank, maybe a year mm-hmm. and a half. And then moving into... And there was a really sort of quite a... Uh, there, there was a big design capability um, at Standard Bank, which mm. was wonderful. Mm. But now moving into the space where there wasn't anything for the mobile team, giving the freedom, I, I had to really sit down <laughs> and put together a strategy, right? So I had to think about yeah. how I was going to build this thing. And it did... It became... Um, Quite, it felt quite intimidating and quite overwhelming because Discovery is a very big organization and you think, you know, like I really don't want to mess this up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where this sort of this, and we can maybe, well, sure we can touch on it, but this feeling of, um, they're gonna find me out you know this feeling of they're gonna they're gonna find out that I don't know what I'm doing any minute <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm a fraud you know so this imposter syndrome um, mm-hmm. like creeps in there and um, and I find that for me what I learned is that the more that I spoke about what I didn't know the easier mm-hmm. it became for me so Asking for wow. help was like incredibly important when when I got into that situation, mm-hmm. and I have um, a great network of design leaders that are in the industry, and I met them, most of them at Standard Bank actually, and we've wow. we've stayed connected and we've stayed friends for a number of years, and I found it to be so. Um, so useful and helpful to be able to, and I still do today all the time. Sure. But to lean on my network, right? So to actually, we have like we had a group, a WhatsApp group, and we would just like pop questions into the chat, like when we needed to, when we felt like we weren't coping, or when there was something wow. that we wanted to find out about. And that was That's just so incredibly valuable, yeah. yeah. And I think that, alongside with just Um, leveraging off of information that you find in terms of best practice, things that you would maybe investigate like a bit of desktop research, seeing how other companies have done it, listening to some podcasts to try and Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, to whatever you can get hold of, just to just to try and um, help you with the direction and make you feel a little bit more confident and informed in your approach that you might take. And that's where I started to to develop a plan and say, okay, great, I know that we need to touch on X, Y, and Z. So for example, do we have a design system in place? Um, Do we have a design process? What does the way of working look like? Um, And it goes on, you know, information architecture, do we need to conduct an audit on that? And then how are we going to put together um, what that information architecture will look like going forward? Mm -hmm. So there's many different areas that you can focus on when you're looking at a practice and building a practice. Um, And I just, I found that the best thing for me was, as I say, leveraging on, leveraging off of all the information that I could get hold of and Mm -hmm. then trying and failing and fixing it and trying again. (laughs) Like that was just like the way I think that process works. And I think it's also how we build products, right? We try things, we may fail, we get the data, we fix it, and we iterate on it and hopefully improve as we go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, when you said you guys had a WhatsApp group, that's something that that I really want to remember and try and implement. Not necessarily WhatsApp group, but... I think a lot of times when we step into leadership positions, leaders almost um, act in isolation of each other. Not because they're competing or anything, but it's uh, we feel naturally the word "leader" alone, right? Says you are leading. That that feels mm-hmm. very in solitude, and mm-hmm. we actually forget that there are other people, and it's okay, and it's even more beneficial if those that are leading can leverage off of each other's experiences mistakes learnings and yeah it's just such a wonderful initiative or experience you've had with the supportive community Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um, i have to say i I feel i feel incredibly lucky to have met uh, the people that i have along the way and you know the years that followed as i say the relationships have remained and there's Mm -hmm. been sort of like touch points as we go where like moving across to a friend of mine was previously a superbalist um in in the same same position really so for me to be able to have a conversation with her um and to understand like the environment a little bit more and a little bit more about her experience that was invaluable to me
3: yeah so I think one thing that's kind of interesting to me about the superbist space and this is speaking as a person who is completely guessing, but it seems to me that well, banking and like, you know, telcos <laughs> and fashion are not really the same kind of thing. So it seems that. like you entered a completely new space. Like, is yeah. it is it as different as you might assume internally? Like You know, is everyone all super fashionable? And like, you you know, I think when when you kind of think of a a fashion, like a a clothing company, like Devil's Wear Prada kind of like comes into my mind. Like like how much of that is just dreams and how much of it is like actually similar to what your previous experiences were like?
0: Yeah, such a great question as well. So, yeah, I mean... As you say, uh, being exposed to um, insurance uh, mm-hmm. and telco, uh, it's it's not <laughs> it's it's not really anywhere near as um, as dynamic, I suppose you could say, as mm-hmm. as fashion. So I mean, that that definitely was something that attracted me to the role because it was something that was very different when I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hadn't dealt with e-commerce too much yeah. in my career, so I touched on it a little bit with the with the telco, but not as much. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that really attracted me to it, and and just great people that are in that environment at the moment. So mm. the head of product that that is there at um, at Superbalist, I've worked with him previously, and I've just got okay. enormous respect for him and the way that he works. So. I really wanted to, to work with him again as well. So a combination of all the things there is what attracted me. But um, to answer your question, is it a very kind of high fashion environment? I would say it's a combination. So oh, wow. I do see a lot of very fashionable people. And then Mm -hmm. there's some people that that don't kind of even want to pretend to be fashionable, right? I mean, they're the first first to admit it, you know? They'll say, like, coming from a, like, and this is not the stereotype, but um, one of the developers said it, actually. So he was, Mm -hmm. like, um, completely unfashionable and completely, like not aware of what that might be, you know yeah so so I think it's definitely a, a combination um, of them, but there certainly are some very fashionable and and dynamic people that are there. and I think a company mm. like that does need that type of um, that type of input, particularly when you're trying yeah. to innovate in that space.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing.
1: You know, you mentioned earlier when you started working for Discovery, you got a lot more exposure around business stakeholders and the business side of things. And um, when we think of UX design, as it says, user experience design, we are taught by discipline. If you you, um, go and study a related field or exactly UX design, you know, it's uh, looking after the user's need, user first, customer first, all of that. And then you step into the real world, you move into a business and it's like, cool guys, here are the KPIs, here is what we want to reach and our design. And then we're like, but uh, but, but, but user needs, user needs, where's, where's the user needs? And um, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm very intrigued to hear your experience around how to find that balance, because mm. we can't be completely focused as UX designers on the user's needs. But we also can't be the opposite, which is just focus on the business goals. And I think it's actually harder for people by trade and UX design to move a little bit to that side of the scale where they have to be okay. I know I have to sometimes be like, I am sacrificing a user need and I need to make <laughs> peace with it because it's like finding that middle ground. Yes,
0: <laughs> yeah that's so true and it's it's definitely something that has been a journey for me along the way through my career because I was one of those people that was like the user all the way and you know and it 's like what is best for the user only and that's great uh, it's wonderful to have the empathy, and I think that 's a lot of the reason why we 're doing what we 're doing and that we have empathy for for people 's experiences so it's always important to, to have that. And um, the one thing, and, and again, this is, I think, something that I kind of learned in, in my experience at Standard Bank and discovery is having to learn that the business plays an enormous role, like in our, um, in our lives. So obviously we, we get paid by the business, right? So it, it would benefit us for the business to be profitable and for us to continue to have our lovely jobs with the company that we're with.
3: (laughs) And at the same
0: time, the customer, we need to focus on the customer experience as well. So it is about finding that balance and definitely about striking the balance between how do we cater to the business objective, but at the same time, um, understanding what the customer need is. And it's not, you know, it seems to be simple, um, as you say it like that, but it isn't always that simple. Yeah. And I find the important thing is to understand a little bit more about the business. It's important yeah. to understand a bit more about the business and about what their goals are and about how we can contribute to arriving at those goals. And then obviously also catering to what the problem areas may be on the product at the moment, and how we can like, bring and identify what some of those things might be, which could in turn actually contribute to a higher return of revenue for the business mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, I mean, I think those two, there should be a very kind of fluid relationship between the two. It shouldn't be about, okay, we're going to push back, we're going to push back all the time. There may be times mm-hmm. when, you, when you may need to do that, mm-hmm. but it should be sort of a mutually beneficial um, relationship But that comes with a lot of maturity in organizations, has to have, um, and and again, that's a journey I think that a lot of companies um, undertake when they have a a team that is internal, that is helping them with the UX and the UI.
1: Mm -hmm. Has there been a team that you've worked for where maybe the UX uh, capability or exposure to UX hasn't been that far matured or advanced that they're actually willing to hear about the customer-first experience. And how did you like cope with that? How did you fight the battle to stand up for the user and then kind of meet in the middle?
0: Mm. So there's been... I would say it's been, it's been different for me in every place that I've been at okay. so far. Mm-hmm. There have been some very forward-thinking companies, very kind of dynamic um, and more startup uh, type of environment that mm-hmm. I feel it's easier to show the value and the benefit of what we can bring. As a UX capability. So it's almost like in seeing that being a little bit kind of closer to to the people that make Mm -hmm. the big choices, it becomes easier to to have this sort of mutually beneficial relationship because it's almost like it's it's more visible. The the structure is more flat. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When you have a more, uh, a very hierarchical structure, it becomes challenging. So it may be in like a bigger corporate environment that you feel you're not as, it's not as accessible for mm-hmm. you to be able to have those discussions at a level where it would influence change or it would impact the mm-hmm. change. So I suppose it, it will, it has come to you in my experience. I have had a time when I didn't have um, much of a say and it does become frustrating. You know, it does become incredibly frustrating. And I think it's important in those learnings to say, okay, great. If, there, if, I'm, if I'm frustrated here, if I come to a point where I feel like I cannot influence any change here, what am I going to do about it? So am I going to continue to try and, um, and sort of push against it and say, L- you must listen to me. Or am I going to sort of surrender to it and say, okay, I'm going to like go with what is happening here. It's, it's not within my control as such
2: mm-hmm.
0: and only focus what is within my control. And I, I found that that helped me in environments like that
2: mm-hmm. until
0: I got to a point where I couldn't anymore. So mm-hmm. like i would kind of reached the end of that road. right? And then the next position that I moved into, I knew what to look for. So I kind yeah. of learned from that experience and I said, great, like, what can I learn from this? And how do I then make a decision moving into the next space in my career where I may not necessarily feel as constricted as such?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That's, that's amazing. And I have to say, I think, especially like during my time at the bank, um, so I'm a, I'm a very... Um, boisterous person i like trying my (laughs) like my different things i like try both trying things that are relevant and not relevant to my job and so when i sort of feel a little bit constrained i sort of like i can i can kind of relate to what you were mentioning from that perspective and i think you 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 are right sort of being able to in a sense surrender the things out of your control and focus on what is within your troll Mm. is um is a healthy thing to do just because always thinking about the things that are outside of your control eventually like just puts you in this dark place and you eventually get jaded <laughs> and even the things that are within your control you you started like half acid basically um so i think yeah. it is it is it is a good idea to kind of like focus on the things that you can control mm-hmm. um but one thing that i sort of wanted to to kind of like pivot on because I think, especially in the creative space and creative disciplines of all sorts, um, when you're an individual contributor or a specialist of some kind, um, a lot of a lot of your value comes from what you're able to do, right? It yeah. comes from your your capability and your skill set. But then once you start to step into this leadership role, a lot more of your value is realised through how you communicate, and one of the the the, um, the really I guess pivotal ones is how you give feedback because uh, you know when i think about some of the best you know managers or leaders that i've worked under one of the things that sort of always stands out about them is that they're really good at giving very specific feedback but then also at the same time not fixing the problem for you they kind of still leave the the ability to yeah. solve your problem for <laughs> yourself so can you can you talk a little bit about how that that kind of like shift happened for you and um how you managed
0: wow great topic so I mean this this touches like so much on on so many like aspects of design as a career. As you mentioned, like as an individual contributor, and and even just sitting within that, like I mentioned it earlier, the imposter syndrome side of things, and and not feeling like you're good enough, right? So I speak from my own experience, coming mm-hmm. coming at, through the industry as an individual contributor. I have had moments when I have been terrified to show my work. I
2: mm.
0: have been scared of the rejection. I have been worried about the criticism and I'm a perfectionist on top of all of that, which is a blessing and a curse, mainly a curse, but <laughs> being, a, being a perfectionist, if you get great feedback and there's one little small piece of not so great feedback. <laughs> you tend to focus on that one small piece of not so great Mm -hmm. feedback and you Mm -hmm. take it upon yourself and define yourself but like i am bad i'm terrible this isn't good enough you know Mm. and i've seen it happen so much with a lot of the people that i've worked with on my teams as well so because i've had this experience in my life um I I can only sort of take it from where I've come from and and try my best to help the people on my team to perhaps communicate or receive or give feedback in an effective manner. So by no means am, am I great at it I uh, don't don't pretend to be I think that this is a uh, this is something that we have to work on throughout the course mm-hmm. of our careers and also just in our lives it's a life skill mm-hmm. you know it's not just about like in the work environment it's also about how you conduct your relationships outside of work
3: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah so I would say for myself, it was going from a space of how do I receive feedback from people in in mm-hmm. an effective way and try to understand that this isn't a direct attack on on myself. It is something mm-hmm. that is meant to be helping me improve my work and then being able to take the feedback, turn it into something constructive and try again, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And at the same time, it's also about giving feedback now to my team and also receiving feedback from them as well. I welcome Mm -hmm. that. I want that feedback. How can I be a better leader for the team? I want you to tell me um, how you feel I can improve and do better. Mm -hmm. So so I feel that when giving feedback, it it certainly is about the way that you are delivering it and the words that you're saying. I don't know necessarily for me if there's a specific recipe, but I really like what you said about being quite specific mm-hmm. about your feedback, and then also standing back and allowing someone to uh, to get that right themselves to go out and to come up with a solution mm-hmm. that sort of that answers that bit of feedback that you gave, which is hard mm-hmm. because. <laughs> Because it's about and
1: specificity, it's,
0: <laughs> and it's about letting go of control. It's also yeah. going like, okay, you can, you got this, right? So you mm-hmm. trust, you trust that your designer is clever enough and smart enough, and they they absolutely are, and they can go away, and this is their journey, and you can be there on their journey to help guide them. But it's about yeah. also standing back and letting them do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Has there been a a time where it's gone completely wrong where you've either given feedback and someone didn't receive it well or maybe you didn't receive it well? (laughs) Oh my gosh, definitely. (laughs) 100%.
0: um, Yeah, definitely. I've had many moments where um, perhaps after a, a critique session or a feedback session that I've had that I've sat down and, and thought, okay, I could have done better. Uh, I, could have, I, I could have communicated more effectively, more specifically, more calmly, less controllingly. Mm-hmm. There are many things that, that could have been done better. But the great mm-hmm. thing is, is that I can actually go back to that person
2: mm-hmm.
0: and say, yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I apologize for approaching it in this way, or I feel like I could have communicated this in a better way. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, you know. It's yeah. it's okay to make mistakes and mm-hmm. I think that's so important for for us to understand is that it's okay to fail, it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But it's what we do afterwards that counts.
3: Exactly, um, and, and I, I sort of want to touch on that because you know we very often, especially looking at it from the outside, you can think that leadership is about you know make this amazing strategy and gather the team and then they execute that 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 amazing strategy and you know it's all sunshine and rainbows, but I think a very important part of leadership is actually modelling the behaviour that you want to see, and you know being able to say. The way i did this wasn't wasn't absolutely perfect mm. and you know these are the things that i did wrong and i want to commit to doing that better like not only does it sort of um strengthen the relationship between you and that person it also shows the person that you make mistakes but you're willing to kind of like own up to it and sort of try and do better next time
0: mm. um yeah
3: and then something, something that I kind of wanted to, to touch on a little bit, cause you sort of mentioned how feedback is also important in, in our relationships. And one of the things that, that immediately came to mind, um, was something that I heard from a psychologist. Like, I can't, I can't remember which one, but he was sort of speaking a little bit about relationships, right? And, and how so, so often, especially when it starts to get a little bit closer to an argument than feedback. <laughs> We focus so much on the negative feedback that we might give, like the things that are done wrong or the things that can improve, that we forget the importance of positive feedback. And I think it's Mm. specifically important in relationships because, in a sense, negative feedback tells the person the thing that they do wrong, but it doesn't necessarily tell them what the right thing is. But then when somebody does something right, there's an opportunity to tell them that, like, of all the things that you did on this day, that's one of the things that you did correctly. And that's one of the things that you can focus on repeating. And that, that, that is like really, like you show, not only do you show the value of that person in the relationship, you also almost are like helping them write a handbook of how to, how to engage with you properly. Um, mm. and I think like positive feedback is such an important thing and not, I, I, I guess I, I get, I get the feeling sometimes that we almost are satisfied with just saying that was good or well done rather than focusing on what specifically it was they did that had the positive impact because Mm -hmm. that almost gives them the ability next time they're in that situation and they think like, okay, how do I approach this? They'll think, okay, when I did this, Mm -hmm. they were like, that's, that was a good thing. And so you sort of give them the ability to like, to choose to kind of like treat you in the way that you want to be treated. And so I just think it's, it's super important to also be able to deliver positive feedback specifically um, at, in, in all kinds of relationships.
1: Even like uh, you and me, right. With this podcast and, and it's also the way we set up work in life. For instance, Alfie and I have a, we have a catch up every Friday morning around the podcast. We kind of review what we've done Um, And the same with the rest of our work and we get in this routine of that is your opportunity to bring up problems. It's like stand up in the morning, it's an opportunity to bring up problems. And we forget because we're in that cycle. To, to also make time and prioritize time for the opposite, not an opportunity to bring up problems and obstacles, but to bring up time to shed light on the things that we are doing good, the things that we have mm-hmm. improved on. And, um, yeah, it takes a lot of intention.
0: Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, and I love that you mentioned that. It's so incredibly important that we... As you say, don't forget to focus on something positive as well mm-hmm. to be to be taken away from from any kind of discussion, and it can it can become hard when you are perhaps just haven't taken a step back and and like given it a bit of perspective, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. if you are heading towards an argument, as you say, in in any kind of uh, situation in your life, it's easy to become. Like defensive um, and and sort of lose sight of perhaps the bigger picture really at the Mm. end of the day and I do think it's just so important maybe just to I I think I read it the other day that if you're triggered and if there's a moment where you can feel that you're heading towards this sort of negative behavior that you may know about yourself (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you should Take a break. Yeah,
2: but take a break. Rate, sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Take a break and walk away from it and come back. But make sure you come back, right? So make sure you come back mm-hmm. to it and continue talking about it. But just to give yourself some perspective and to take a step back and say, okay, great. But like maybe where, how can I approach this um, differently? Exactly. or Better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't, yeah. don't speak when you're in the right zone. But um, to what we're saying, it's I, I'm just like reflecting on you know uh, all the Slack messages I receive, and even in my previous teams, if you look at your Slack messages, communication between teams, or even your WhatsApp between you and your significant other, um, if if someone randomly at one o'clock in the afternoon posts a message, or your partner DMs you and says, "Hey, thanks for this, guys. This was really good," blah blah blah. It's almost awkward in some mm-hmm. in some teams and in some environments. It's like, where did that come from? Or did, mm-hmm. did this person have like a, a coffee with someone else? It, you almost have to justify in your mind, why is this person mm-hmm. saying something good? If your partner sends you like this random message, I want to at work, like... Oh, what happened? Why are you in such a good mood? <laughs> and it's it. almost <laughs> we have to kind of normalize uh that behavior because we have normalized giving negative feedback, asking for things um to be done better, asking for things to improve. We've normalized that part of communication, mm-hmm. but we actually haven't normalized the opposite, randomly just giving good good affirmation and good feedback. And that mm-hmm. kind of brings me to um a bit of a topic that I, I wanted to discuss with you um, that relates to being more human with the people we, we work with. And I think mm-hmm. especially with COVID, it's, it's such a, a, a weird balance now because you can be almost too human, not mm-hmm. too human, but, but show up um, bringing your personal life too much to work. And then there's mm-hmm. also the balance of not being, not being human at all where you're just showing up at work, you're a resource, you're an employee. Mm. And uh, especially now as someone leading a team, how do you feel you are, like Alfie said, you know, you're modeling the behavior you want them to, to follow. How do you feel you're doing that in the sense of giving your team the space and allowing them to also show up as humans and not design resources?
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Mm.
1: So your,
0: I think your your spot on there with COVID. It it kind of changed. It changed so much. It changed everything, really, um, mm. for the way that we worked um, like, especially for, I mean a lot of people are going back to the office, but I don't think that uh, will ever really be the way that we were. Things have changed mm. like fundamentally about the way that we work. I think forever. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing at all. I do, yeah, I, I do think that when it comes to things like working remotely and if you have um, a team member... So it's, it's funny because I've been in different places during the pandemic and different mm-hmm. organisations have handled it differently. So they've said there are some people that are like, mandatory, your camera has to be on. And then there are others that say, it's okay. Like, it's chill. If, if you don't want to put your camera on, it's completely up to you. Mm. So I feel, <laughs> I do feel that it is great to have your camera on um, because it does sort of improve. Uh, and I think it, what did I hear the other day? Someone mentioned, it creates texture. So mm. it actually just allows okay. you to, yeah, so it allows you to, look at someone and see their facial expression, at least, mm-hmm. when you're having a discussion or yeah. when you're presenting something, mm-hmm. because, again, if I'm just looking at a screen full of <laughs> avatars, <laughs> yeah, then, then I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm sort of going, okay, it's very quiet and everyone's on mute and, and there's no mm-hmm. engagement. and. It's completely different to the way that we used to um, perhaps give a presentation where we would stand up in front of people and you would mm. have this sort of like, mm, like someone's nodding and, and acknowledging what you're saying and smiling at you. And there's definitely that connection that happens when you're in person, which mm. doesn't happen um, when you're online. So I, I work remotely because Superbalist is based in Cape Town and I'm in Joburg. So Mm. that for me has created a completely different dynamic, but I've come from a company which was international. So I was familiar with um, engaging with my team completely in a different country. Mm. But I I have to say that it it didn't feel that way. Um, It doesn't feel that way now. I don't feel as much sort of distance. Like barring the fact that I can't go uh, get in my car and drive to the office, um, mm-hmm. I do I do still feel incredibly connected to my team, mm-hmm. and I think that's also just I don't know maybe it's a chemistry thing maybe it's a uh, you know some teams just have great chemistry together people work really well together I think it's good to be to be communicating in an effective manner to be able to see a person. So yeah, I think all of these things taken into account, like it does help um, improve that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, that's so true. Um, and it's actually, it's so funny, as you're sort of speaking, and probably because we were talking about giving feedback just now, I just realized that turning off your camera in a sense is depriving the person that's speaking of feedback because that's actually <laughs> exactly. what it is when you're speaking. <laughs> Because, like, the the smiles, the head nods, or if if you see people are, like, nodding off to sleep, like, that's feedback. It's just not verbal. And especially when you're presenting, like, that for me is one of the hardest things. Trying to do a presentation and nobody's camera is on. Because it's like, you know, you try to tell a joke (laughs) and it's quiet. And meantime, there might be somebody laughing on the other side, but you're just like, okay, clearly I'm not that funny. And you try to go, you're trying to... Try to try to go ahead, and then as the person on the other side, you're like, "Do I turn my mic on to laugh?" That For seems a moment a to bit... laugh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> mm. It seems a little and bit strange. Funny. Yeah,
0: so there's also this additional element um, from a from a um, like a UX or a user interface point of view with the tool that mm. you're using. Where I find in Teams, they've got these emojis True. where, you know, people are, like, mm. doing the thing and you can at least see expressions, yes. but, um, like, with Google Meet, for example, you can't do that. So, if someone yeah. doesn't have yeah. their camera on, there's no, like, you just, as you say, you're almost, like, deprived of feedback in a way, it's an additional way of giving someone feedback, positive feedback,
1: yeah. or any feedback. And I think- <laughs> You know, it it actually relates back to the first thing we discussed, which is when you were um, telling us how you approached um, having conversations to an employer about becoming a parent and making it quite clear what your boundaries are, being human. Like, I might have to run uh, during work to, you know, quickly go to school and come back. And um, for me, at least... My my whole team is in Europe. I'm the only one in South Africa, but I feel the closest with them that I have with a team I've worked in in probably five or six years, and it's because we also when when you go and you can drop your kid off or you quickly go. I went to go fetch my dog at the doggy parlor. It's not like I am gonna be out of office. We, we're quite uh, open of also sharing a bit of personal information. And it's 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 not mm. like frowned upon or weird because we, we're all human and we all know we have life, right? Yeah. That we, we have to live while we're doing this thing, which is a job. Um, mm. And it's so yeah. refreshing because by doing that, we yeah. enable other people to do that as well and show sure. up more yeah.
0: Sorry, Steph, I actually moved away from the original question and the other one, but but I think you spot on there. <laughs> just like, I just squirreled into something else. But, um, but you're right. I think it's incredibly important to, uh, to show up in a way that is authentic. So, mm. you know, you're bringing your whole self to work. I don't think that it should be a case of I need to come to work and be a robot, like nothing's ever going to yeah. impact me. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to have these things in my life that I need to um, attend to. I'm not going to have a personality and show you a little bit about who I am and what's, what's important to me and what matters to me. So I think mm. it is really, really important to be able to express yourself um, and and create those relationships that you have with the people on your team. And I suppose that speaks to a bit of the chemistry there, that you may have, that mm. like, great like you start to form bonds with people that you work with because you're with them me. for so much time in your day. So um, very important that that you can um, connect with the people on your team. Yeah I mean I, the, the opposite end of things would be sort of sitting talking about personal things all day, which <laughs> which yeah. I think would be yeah. counterproductive as well. but um, but again, I think there's there's definitely room to be to be bringing yourself to work. Yeah. Like you' we're all human.
1: It's like yeah. you said, right? As as long as you you get the job done, then yeah. the rest doesn't really matter. So if you're joining a call while you're on a walk around the park, that's fine because mm-hmm. it's it's a call, and if you still get yeah. your work done, that's okay. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. So true. Yeah,
1: I've actually had one of my uh, team members um, dial in on a call um, while cycling. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, no. and I, and I, and I love that he didn't even turn his camera off and he was actually, he wasn't even cycling. He was cycling back from getting a COVID test and he was joking, <laughs> people saying, sorry guys, I just quickly had to get a COVID test, phone like in the stand, in the bike, cycling across the road. And he left his camera on and I just loved that. It wasn't, in a sense you can think maybe it's distracting. But um, but again, I just love that uh, people can be or start to feel comfortable with each other to mm-hmm. to do that. Um, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. And as you say, I think it's just the the way that things have changed for us, um, and the way that we can adapt to to the environments that we're in, and to mm-hmm. the very very difficult challenges that have been thrown at us over the past couple of years mm-hmm. um, as as humans and in the pandemic. You know, so. So, yeah, being able to get onto a bike and, and cycle, I mean, I had, um, I, I was telling my team earlier, I, I, I was working with someone at Discovery whose wife was in labor, and he was on a team's call to me.
2: <laughs> well,
0: his wife was in labor, and, and eventually, like I said to him, look, I really appreciate the fact that you're on this call, but please go and be with your wife. <laughs> and I think like, boundary. Mm -hmm. like there's a boundary, Mm -hmm. you
2: know yeah
3: (laughs) but i think i think that's the the strange thing about this idea of sort of showing up as your as your whole self is like it's not it's not about one occasion you know because you might think for example about this guy who's kind of like cycling on a call and some people might see that maybe as a little bit disrespectful like are you really listening to a call while you're trying to cycle and not get hit by a car and then like for other people, who would be like, "Oh, I wish I did that at work." But it's actually more about like when you look at it over weeks and days and engagements yes, at multiple different levels. New. Because yeah. you know, I mean, as a South African, you might think like cycling is maybe like a a strange thing to be doing while on a call. But in Europe, that's much <laughs> much, much more commonplace. Like people cycle a lot more in your car,
0: exactly, it's exactly. So
3: <laughs> um, and, yeah. and so it, it's sort of it's more about this thing of like what how do we engage over weeks and months and, like, over multiple different occasions rather than mm. how is this person showing up today? And I think yeah. when we can sort of take that step back and look at a person over, like, you know, multiple different engagements, yeah. then we can kind of see that mm. sometimes life throws you a curveball and you sort of <laughs> yeah. just need to adapt. You um, have to deal
0: with it, yeah. It's that element um, of trust, that. right, that oh, we spoke yeah. about earlier. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you if you build the trust with the, with the people that, that you work with, then yeah, you know, maybe you can go for a cycle and and be in a meeting. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we almost at the the closing part of the episode. Um, I do want to quickly ask you one last question and uh, it's actually to the advantage for one of my friends. (laughs) And so I have a friend, a very close friend, and she's uh, coming from an engineering background. She just did a one-year course in UX. And um, I think especially for her and a lot of other similar people who don't have a full educational experience from UX and they're stepping into the space, she has even more inflated imposter syndrome. And she almost doesn't feel adequate to try and apply for jobs or um, how she speaks about her engineering background in an interview when she's trying to sell herself as a UX designer. And I thought maybe as someone who also hires and has hired in the past, uh, you can maybe shed some light on if you've had candidates you've looked at or people that you've interviewed who maybe haven't had a conventional background and your opinion on that and uh, maybe some advice for for her coming from engineering background very brief um course in UX but very self-learning and enthusiastic to like start that journey Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so I feel if, if I look at just some examples of, of myself um,
2: mm.
0: in my career and when I've been interviewed, I was, I was given the opportunity, right? so I, mm. I may not have had um, any experience at all uh, in, in a certain aspect of, of my mm. career, but I was, given, I was given the opportunity by a person. Yeah. But I do think that there is an element of being able to identify something there. So as you mentioned, like she's obviously got the, the passion and she's got the drive and she is willing to learn, and she's perhaps got this growth mindset where she is sort of open to wanting to, um, to better herself in her career. At the same time, being kind of very honest about where she's come from and her background, I feel that the different disciplines, like Development, or if, if you're looking at like a physical product design background or whatever, yeah. industrial design, there may yeah. be people that come from different fields that want to transition across into product design. And I think that there are elements or common threads that sit across many of those um, mm. careers that can be pulled into our industry that will be very beneficial. At the end of the day, we're solving problems. Right? Mm. So if we look at the background that that person comes from, we say, okay, great. Like they have come from a background where they've also had to be solving problems. Yeah. What can they bring from their experience into this environment that will help them to be a great designer? Mm. And some of the best designers that I've met, have come from unconventional backgrounds. Mm. They haven't had this sort of traditional learning. I've come through the years and years and studied this and and you know got to the place where I am now. They've had unconventional backgrounds, but they've been exposed to um, and they've been given the opportunity to grow in a space, and they've just had that like willingness to do it though. And I think that is incredibly important. Is it? it's not just about your skill set. It's also about how you are in, like, as a person and what you want and what you're willing to do if you're hungry and if you want to, um, and if this is what you really want to do. I, I honestly feel that an employer will notice that and the right employer, right? So the place you want to be will find you or you will find them. And that will be right for you so it's just about i think a combination of things really not necessarily Mm -hmm. only your skill set and the fact that you may not be completely skilled in in ux and ui but you have this Mm -hmm. sort of wanting to learn and there are opportunities available for you out there that will allow you to do that
3: that's amazing um sarah I have to say this has been an amazing, amazing episode. I think, <clears throat> regardless of where, like, um, where our audience is in their career, I think anybody in this space has somebody uh, has something to take out of this conversation. From the people who are thinking about becoming moms, to the people who are transitioning into leadership, to um, some of the people who maybe are considering UX as a possible um, future um, pivot in their career. I have to say thank you very much for kind of like being willing to share your story and being willing to be open about, you know, the areas where you excel and the areas where you've struggled. I think it's been, it's been really amazing chatting to you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. I really, as I said, um, when, I, when we started, I just really appreciate having the platform, having the ability to come and share my experience. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was just so lovely to spend some time with you.
3: Amazing. Indeed. Um, before before we, do, we do sign off, I, I don't know um, how, how you are on social media and all of that, but if people do want to hear a little bit about what you're working on, maybe some of the thoughts you have, where would you suggest that they sort of find or follow you?
0: So I would say the, the best place to find me would be LinkedIn. So yeah. if, they, if they would like to sort of connect with me, please, I'd, I'd love to connect. I am on LinkedIn, as I say, Sarah Ulmer. We could, I don't know, Google to seem spelling and whatnot, but mm-hmm. that's where the best place would be to connect with me.
1: Amazing. Nice. And we'll put cool. that uh, link in, in a way We'll tag you in the announcement post, so people can just click on it from our post. Got to go connect with you. If they need to. Amazing.
3: Thank you. Perfect. And to everybody listening, thank you very much, and enjoy what's left of your day.
1: Cheers guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye.